Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Chingona. I'm Nadia here in Austin. I'm Leah, and I'm in Denver. I'm talking to you for a podcast. (laughs) Um, So we've gathered here today on the internet in order to talk about one of my really good friends named Lucy Ortega. She's originally from Brownsville, and she's such a chingona. Um, I met her back in 2010, and I can't believe it's been that long, but I was an intern in Washington, D.C. for the first time, you know, Valley Girl in the big city. It was really scary, but I met her through a mutual friend and immediately was blown away by her. She was working on Capitol Hill, being awesome, but the legislature at that time, it was the health care bill was being passed. There was a lot of debate around that. So it was an exciting moment in mm-hmm. politics. But I was also just completely blown away by how confident and savvy she was. So I'm really glad that we've maintained contact through the years. And anytime I have a career question or I need advice, I literally either go to her or I think, like, what would Lucy do? Because she's just a really (laughs) strong, smart, fierce woman. A little bit of background around her. She worked in D.C. for three years. She worked for a couple of congressmen. And then after the midterm elections, I believe in 2010, unfortunately, her congressman lost his election. So it was time for her to look for a new career or a new job. And she returned to Texas to work in advocacy for a group called Avance. And now she has a fellowship to go get her master's degree in Spain, which is amazing. Whoa, that is crazy cool. Yeah. So when she's been in San Antonio, she's been working on um, early childhood education issues with Avance. And so now she'll be pursuing her master's degree in education while she's in Spain. What is Avance? Avance is a nonprofit organization that does parenting classes and early childhood education. So it's basically looking holistically at the parents' needs to develop themselves as parents and Mm -hmm. then making sure their children also have a head start. That's a lot simpler than I'm sure how she would explain it, but that's Mm -hmm. essentially what they do. They're looking at two generations rather than focusing on just either the parent or the child. Oh, that's cool. mm -hmm. I didn't know that existed. Yeah, I think there's a chapter in McAllen or Edinburgh, and they're around the state. So she did a lot of work with getting them in front of lawmakers and making their case for funding and that sort of thing. So what, and I may be getting ahead of myself because I don't know what you asked her during your interviews, but what did she do while she worked for the congressman in D.C.? Like, what was her role? She started there back when she was an intern and worked her way up to legislative assistant. So she's done it from taking messages and giving tours and taking notes to doing research and listening to constituents on issues that they care about for laws. She basically knows the legislative process front and back. And when you think about, I know like the the term like lobbying is really kind of weird and ambiguous I really still don't understand fully what it is yeah <laughs> but it's, it's kind of that like she's somebody who knows if you want to get in front of your lawmakers and tell them this is important or this program is important and it needs to be funded or this issue 
is important and you need to do something about it. She knows how to get their attention and she knows how to, to prepare people when they go and they get, you know, their, their meeting with a mm-hmm. lawmaker, a lawmaker staff person. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And she's really passionate about obviously education now, but also about, you know, giving other Latinas a hand up. And yeah. she's really great about making time to at least in my experience listen to like your problems and your heartaches and when you're trying to figure yourself out giving some really great advice so I talked to her she's been you know a lot in her career so far with how you know she transitioned from the valley to DC and then she transitioned from DC to San Antonio and now she's getting ready to live internationally for the first time so um, I kind of talked to her about her job the things that inspire her, the things that she's passionate about, and reinvention, a lot about career advice and figuring it out because yeah. that's kind of where I am and, you know, in my my career, trying to figure out what path I'm going down. And I know a lot of people my age and our age are going through the same thing. So yeah, it's hard out here. It really is. <laughs> And so the first thing that I talked about, I got right down. I visited her earlier, I think earlier this year, and I got right down to salary negotiating because that's what was on my mind at that time. And she had some very smart things to say about that. So let me play you a little clip of the advice that she gave me on that topic. Okay. I never, I was happy and they kept me happy, but part of it was my me questioning you know the the salary range and always hey i'm up for a raise where's my raise and learning how to negotiate that and working in leadership i learned how much some of these fools were making too right and some of them were making ninety thousand. the ceo was making it one hundred and fifty thousand. and i started saying hey they don't have like the experience that i have they're older but then you can claim that is ageism right but they don't have the experience that I have. Some of these people that are making so much money. So I, I, I think there's this missed uh, conception that, oh, because you work in a nonprofit, you should be okay with earning shit. And you should not. It is hard. You learn with time and with experiences. I mean, first, of course, you have to know and uh, you know accept um, your value, I feel. That's a, a big challenge, especially for women, for Latinas. Like we do refuse to recognize our value. We feel like, oh, we're so lucky that we have this job. And gringas don't. That's what sets us apart. They're like, mm-mm. Like, they're divas. You know, that's been my experience and what I've learned from some of them. But um, so first is, is knowing that and then it's negotiating. Like, okay, well, you the COLA, you know, your, your cost of living adjustment. Uh, cost of living, yeah, that's your 3% increase. Some people do 1.5 or, you know, what have you. I mean, that is a... That sometimes, especially if it's uh, like a state run or there's where they have to, they have to give you that a huevo, that's standard. Even though some employers have gotten very smart at saying that, that, oh, well, it's, it's, it's something. No, that is not a race. That is something that they have to do to comply with state funding or federal funding. And I learned this because we get Head Start money. So, for example, my salary was not funded through Head Start. So I wouldn't get a COLA, yet I would demand a 10% increase. On my and I always got my races, dude. How? And that, How I always, you do that? always got my races. I think um, I, I, I did it because 
I got very smart at when I first started, right? I mean, without trying to sound no sangrona, but when I started, I exceeded projects, right? Like my boss said, I need to work on this. I would go beyond. And I would say, by the way, I also did this. I also reached out to uh, Congressman so-and-so and, you know, Congressman Castro is going to be in town and you guys are going to have lunch. Oh, okay. And what are we going to talk about during lunch? And I said, we'll talk about the kindergarten caucus. Tell them that you're interested in being part of it. And can we have a hearing? Can we feature Avance? Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you make it happen? Yeah. I just sealed the deal with the Congress. Okay, okay. So things like, I will bring him up by my evaluation. So I said, I did this, but I also did this stellar things that you have to have the guts, right? And you just have to like, just go at it. Even though, I mean, I was like, I'm going to call congressman, the congressman's office and he might be like, no, but I have to like be chingy chingy, you know? So that's, that's how I might manage to get races by always, always I try to, and I, sometimes it got to the point cause I was there for so long, for, you know, five years where I said, ah, was my eval is every August it's coming up and I haven't done my stellar project. I need to get on it. So it's about being creative and going above and beyond. That was my, everybody has different, right? That was what I learned. So. She's amazing. <laughs> Isn't she? That was, she, she's so smart. Yeah. Oh my God. She, how old is she? She is 34, I think right now. She is such a badass. <laughs> like just even even just the way she talks about how she approaches, like even just her talking about how she does that. Like it's intimidating and that is awesome cuz I want to get to that level. <laughs> I know, and those are things that I it just hadn't occurred to me to be that strategic and that's advice mm-hmm. that I don't think I've gotten from anybody else in asking mm-hmm. about no salary negotiations before. So it's a lot of like, oh, you know, write down the things that you did that you think were valuable, but not like plan it out <laughs> so that yeah. you have your grand finale right before your evaluation. I thought that was really cool. I know. So when when I was working with Progress Times and they'd – and my boss had asked me to move – from being a reporter to moving to the editor position and at at that point I had I was still the only full-time reporter working and he I was also doing social media and I was doing some page design I took my own photos to go along with my articles like I wore all the hats except for advertising in that newsroom and So I remember like asking some people for advice about how I would go about asking for a raise or or more money because I knew he was going to give me a raise, but because I would be jumping up for position, but because I would be doing more, I wanted to negotiate more money than he was going to offer me. And so I went, you know, I, I, I planned out everything and I was like practicing in my car and like in my room, like how I would say these things. And I, you know, I, I got to the point where I was like, okay, so I'm going to be doing this, this, and this for you on top of this and that, which, you know, is more than what the previous editor was doing. So I would like to ask for this much more. And he, you know, seemed taken aback by it. And, uh, he just kind of smiled and was just like, well, you know, we don't really have that in our budget right now. 
And I didn't know where to go from there. Like I had, I was strong and I was confident up until that point. And I was just like, well, shit, like, what do you say when someone's like, well, that's great, but we don't have the money in our budget to pay what you're asking for. How do you do it? <laughs> well, I think I asked something to Lucy that was very similar because I get that same feeling where during the year, you know, your boss is cheering you on and telling you how great you are and what an mm-hmm. you know asset you are to the team. But when it comes time to put a dollar value to that, then, you know, your labor is not quite as valuable. So here's another clip from my interview with Lucy where she mm-hmm. addresses – I think she, she addresses that a little um, more clearly or a little more directly. You don't say, oh, well, my value is – because it's awkward, right? You're not going to bring that up. But you always link your, you know, great things that you're doing and great projects to your experience, right? Because your value comes with your experience. You know, that example I gave you about, you know, you know, meetings, you know, getting my boss in with some members of Congress. I always link it back to, you know, well, I'm doing this great project because I have this experience. Well, I said, well, you know, what's what I learned working on the Hill. They have to take you up on interviews and or, or lunch meetings and because you're a constituent and you're doing great things and we're serving 17,000 families. And so I know because I've been there. So you're like, yeah, I've done it. Therefore, I deserve a raise, right? Or you blink it like that. It just comes down to having the guts to go for it, which is what she said. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. And she does like address the like the Latina mentality. It's not something that we're used to doing just as part of our culture and it's hard Absolutely. and it's it's awesome that she's taught herself or just kind of has it in her to do that because it's kind of rare I, I agree I still have a hard time when it comes down to the conversation because it's intimidating mm-hmm. so yeah I don't know I'm still figuring it out <laughs> I, think, I think it's also intimidating because money is a, always just a touchy subject with people and I think a new, uh, like the newer generation does now lean toward, you know, what is, what knowing your value and knowing what you're worth, but because it's still such kind of a new mentality to have. And then because you're younger and, or a female and, or a Latina, like it just adds on and it makes it so much harder to do this, you know, to ask for what you want. And it's such an, like, it's such an awkward conversation to have just in general about money. I think, I think especially maybe that's just more of like an American thing. Also, mm-hmm. we're just really weird about the topic of money in general. Just pay us, pay us more. <laughs> pay us more, pay us what we're worth. That's what we deserve. <laughs> so Lucy didn't start out knowing all the amazing things that she knows. She started off as an intern. So I asked her to talk a little bit about what it was like for her when she started out and kind of what it was like in that first job when she moved to Washington, D.C. and was um, a legislative assistant. I started as an intern, which is great because that's where you, you know, you say, okay, I really want to do this. I really want to stay in D.C., pursue a career in public policy, or you say, this is not for me, right? So um, so that's what it was like for me in D.C. It was a, a an experiment 
right? But then from the internship, I got a job. And since I had no experience in negotiating salaries, I just took uh, the $28,000 they were going to pay me. <laughs> oh, my God. So when I got that, it was a starting job at the office of Congressman Ed Pastor from Arizona. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it was a staff assistant, which is you're a receptionist, and you schedule tours of the Capitol, and you uh, get to talk to constituents and you know, find find out what their needs are and craft uh, responses for them as to what the congressman is doing in you know their the issue that they're seeking help. So it's a very common position for people that start on the hill. Everybody, I mean, you have you know chiefs of staff, legislative directors. Most of them started as staff assistants. So from there, I um, a legislative assistant left in that office, and um, since most offices they promote from within. They, I got a promotion from staff assistant to legislative aide, and I got to have uh, and work with uh, policy issues. Uh, I work with um, education, labor, immigration, and the uh, Hispanic Caucus. I was 25, the quarter, yes, and it was great. It was a great time. It was a, a great time to be in D.C. too. You know, the Democrats were in control of uh, both chambers. Um, you know, we were about to vote for the first African-American president. Um, I was there for the vote on healthcare reform. Um, it was very, very exciting times. I want to be her. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? She started at the bottom just like everybody else has to. And, you know, it's funny that she said that she just took the the, the amount that they were going to pay her. Like, that makes me think of my first job out of college when, you know, they called me and they offered me the job. And I just – I didn't even say, like, okay, well, how long do I have to think about it? Or, you know, I didn't ask – I didn't ask any questions. And I was just like, great, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was the same. <laughs> I was just so happy for them to like offer me a job. I didn't ask what the pay was. I didn't ask if I got benefits. I didn't ask a damn thing. And it's something like as soon as I was just like, great, I'll take it. He was just like, wow, you didn't even ask any questions. <laughs> and immediately I was just like, Uh-oh. shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> now I think it'd be important for me to know, like, how much time do you spend on your hobbies? Like, how often do you get called back into work? Mm-hmm. And that sort of thing. So, yeah, it, it would have been super helpful to know that I wasn't going to get any benefits for that job. Oh, no. <laughs> and that I wasn't going to have any full-time help. Oh. But, yeah. You survived, though. Thank <laughs> God. Oh. I know. I survived. I made it out and I'm better for it because now I know because when I interviewed for the job that I have now, it was a job that I really wanted. Like when I interviewed for it, it was like, this is a company that I really wanted to be a part of. But because I started off temping, I didn't really have a full insight into the company. So I took the time to ask the questions and to kind of think about it and to weigh out all my options. But that's not a thing that I did (laughs) for my interview for my first job. (laughs) 
I, I remember when I got my first job and the the hourly sal- rate was presented to me by the person in charge. And he was like, it's $12 an hour. And then he qualified it with, but the cost of living here in the Valley is really low. And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, give me the job already. Like, I yeah. don't care. And then I was like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> I'm making the same amount of money I was in the internship that I just left for this job. Like, mm, yeah, maybe that should have been a red flag. But anyway, now we know. We're older and wiser. Yeah, we know now. But also, I think that's, I mean, one, journalism just notoriously doesn't pay well. And then two, like journalism or, you know, reporters in the Valley also don't get paid as well. (laughs) Because I think, or just like people in the Valley too, regardless of journalism, like it's just, they don't get paid what they're worth. And that's just people who've just come to terms with, oh, you know, that's just how it works here, which is why everyone wants to leave. And it sucks. Yeah, it's sad. It's a great little place. There's great people, but the job market is terrible. I I gotta agree with you. Sad times. The saddest. Well, you know what? Let's listen to more Lucy talk to make us feel better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think in this part of our conversation, I had just finished finished gushing over how uh, impressed I was with her the first the very first time we met she went on to talk a little bit about why she was that way um, and I think a little bit about how she had at that point been a you know found her found something that she was really passionate about working in no I was like super impressed with you like day one well thank you thank you thank you and I think a lot of it a lot you know the what you mentioned in the the confidence and just these these you know ganas to meet everyone from the district from South Texas that was in DC at the time came from the fact that I was doing something that I loved I was doing something that I absolutely believed in which was working on the legislative branch of uh, government and that's it came with that before when I got to DC at first I was a little bit intimidated by the big city, you know, being from Bronzeville, um, have never ever left in the East Coast or outside of Texas. That was my very first time. Um, I was always very sheltered, even went to, you know, school in Bronzeville because my parents also were very strict. And I did, I, you know, went by the playbook of being a um, Latina de casa, like we like to say, right, when I was younger. So when I got to DC, it was a little bit of a hard transition, but once I got, you know, that job on the Hill, it gave me a lot of confidence because I was very happy with who I was and with I was what I was doing. And, and so I think like from coming from the Valley, like we're not super politically active. So how did you get interested in like legislative um, issues and, and working at the when I was in college um, at UT Brownsville, I met a, uh, a woman and she was, her name's Cindy Jimenez. And she was uh, the cousin of my best friend. And my best friend and I took a trip to DC and, um, and that's where I met her. And I remember being just so um, in, in shock and so much shock when this lady, Cindy took us to her workplace and she worked on the Hill. She worked for then, um, minority leader Nancy Pelosi before she became Speaker of the House. And 
I'll never forget. She gave us a tour, uh, talked to us about what she did for a living. And my first thought was, wow, girls like us can aspire to change lives through public policy. Like girls from the Valley, from Bronzeville. It was a, a huge wake up call. And that's what got me super interested. I went back to Bronzeville, a change person. And, you know, I was still you know, I was like 20, 21 years old, about to graduate from college. And that's how it all got started. And this woman, when I moved to DC, became my mentor, and we still keep in touch. She went to DC and fell in love with uh, what she found there, thanks to her, her new mentor. And I love how it was like my best friend's cousin, like, (laughs) yeah. Or my cousin's best friend, I forget what we heard just like two seconds ago. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I didn't ask her what she had planned to do with her history degree. But it seems like that visit just took her in a new direction. And mm-hmm. she ran with it. And it was really awesome to hear her talk about yeah. that experience. Yeah, that's cool. And she is kind of a rare breed because there aren't there aren't a lot of Latinas that get into legislation or just like in, or they're not interested in politics or just government in general. And they need to be like, I, I'm one of them. I'm, I'm generally not that person unless it's, you know, news related, but it's not something that I would ever consider like a career in, but it's awesome that she did that. And she sounds like she was amazing at it. I, I think growing up, I don't think like I viewed the Valley as very politically active. And I, I kind of like, I don't want to say that it's not because I know there are passionate, really passionate people there, but yeah. it's also sort of an accomplishment because it, I think it still has a, a reputation of being kind of apathetic. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that we have someone like Lucy who is really passionate and she knows the ropes. So we're going to have her fighting on our side one day when she comes back from her awesome time in Spain. Yeah, there are definitely like little, I don't want to say little, but there are groups of people, I think as most especially in the last eight to 10 years that have put the word out there just that it's important to follow your government and just know what's going on in the valley. And it's mostly led by young people, like people that we went to college with and, you know, worked in the newsroom with. And you know, and these are also people that are really heavily involved in like the music scene or the art scene or, you know, LGBTQ community. And it's I I think it's awesome that that it is led by young people of color. Yes. We won't let Donna ISD embarrass us anymore. <laughs> Get out of here, Donna ISD. I don't care. I'm calling you out. <laughs> I somehow blocked them from my memory (laughs) that was that what was that like three scandals in less than a year oh god at least yeah so many (laughs) anyway let's move on to um part of the conversation where she told me a little bit about the things that she was able to work on and learn about back in her role um working for she worked for two different uh congressmen Okay. I worked for two different members of Congress at uh, different times, of course. Um, 
uh, when I was in uh, with Mr. Pastor, I'll never forget. We worked on a uh, a labor issue, and it had to do with um, how people were getting uh, treated in factories uh, in uh, Puerto Rico. And you know, we tend to forget that we have this uh, areas that are you know protected areas of the United States. They're part of the U.S., even though they're not considered states. They still get to vote on our elections. And, you know, we have like U.S. Virgin Islands, uh, Puerto Rico is one of them. And we worked on this uh, labor case with a Hispanic caucus on uh, introducing legislation to regulate um, labor standards for factory workers in Puerto Rico. So that, that was also my firsthand experience with uh, unions and organizing um, and, and that was one of the things. The other issue was, you know, immigration, of course, which should be very dear to all of our hearts as Latinas. And, um, and you know, my boss and along Congressman Solomon Ortiz uh, from Texas, along with uh, Mr. Luis Gutierrez from Chicago, they introduced the Comprehen Comprehensive Immigration Reform Bill in 2010. Um, you know, and to me, it was a great experience too. learning about uh, the, the different provisions and what an immigration bill should include. Um, it was a very it was a great learning experience, which unfortunately didn't go anywhere because of the president Obama, which is fine. But he decided that his priority um, legislation was health care reform, which is now the law of the land. The land. That's right. <laughs> so the tougher experiences was when um, the congressman, Mr. Ortiz, asked me to go to the district and help out in the district office. Actually, it wasn't in D.C. D.C. is great. It's a great experience for you as a person, but it's also a bubble. And, you know, one of the issues with our um, elected right now and and, you know, part of the reason why. You know, the Democrats haven't been able to get back into the, you know, the majority party is because of there's this disconnect. When you're in D.C., you tend to forget about the people and what the needs are in the district. And that was something that Mr. Ortiz wanted for us to um, experience, to go down to the district office and figure out, you know, and, 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 and excuse me, and learn about the challenges our particular community in South Texas was facing. So I got to work in the district office and work with um, constituents directly. And that was one of the hardest part, having your uh, veteran who fought in Vietnam and gave his all, um, you know, come into the office uh, asking, hey, where are my benefits? I haven't gotten my benefits in a year. And I, I, have, I lost my where I live. I have to stay with my son and his wife. And listening to these stories was very heartbreaking. But... You know, I feel like I was also at a place where I was empowered to help them out somehow and get on the phone directly with the VA and try to eliminate some red tape. I love that she's like, you can tell that she's such, I mean, she's a real person. And I feel like a, a misconception about people who work in politics or legislation is that they become kind of like carbon copies of each other that they don't and they they do have that disconnect and they do forget you know about the 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 trials and the hardships of real people and I love that her congressman wanted her to get out of that bubble and talk to people and it you know she had a heart she was a real person about it and 
I love that. I also love that she still has like a, a Mexican accent. Like you mm-hmm. can hear it when she speaks English. I love that so much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Never lose it, Lucy. Yeah. It is my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I forgot to say that she worked for Ed Pastor, who was from Arizona, and then Solomon Ortiz, who used to be the representative of the district. I'm not sure the district is drawn the same way, but it used to go all the way from the valley up to Corpus Christi. It was really weird, mm-hmm. skinny district uh, that he ended up losing in 2010, I believe, when the Republicans swept the midterm elections. Mm. But anyway, that's those are the people that she's talking about. Mm. And I agree with you because I feel like knowing her government a lot of times, it feels like government is this weird brick wall. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to be reminded that despite all the vitriol, that there are real humans who work for us in our representative's office and they do care. So I, I think a lot of people see it as this just like omnipotent, like omniscient being. But it's filled with real people and it makes me happy that, you know, she kind of kept who she was while she was there. Yeah. Good for you, Lucy. (laughs) So like I said, um, her congressman that she worked for at the time ended up losing his election. So that was this catalyst where she needed to obviously find another job. And that's a, a theme that comes up and up again during our conversation is reinvention. So she talked a little bit about what she decided to do and how she handled that situation um, that ultimately led her to come back to Texas, where I was happy to have her back. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get to that clip. There were 2,000 other Democratic staffers like myself scrambling for jobs. So it was almost impossible to land a job in a congressional office since the Republicans had just won the majority. And I think that's something people don't realize is that every time there's a presidential election or a midterm or um, yes. any kind of election, it's not just the congressmen that are out of a job, it's all their staffers. That's correct. Too. Yes. I always, even when I left home, when I left Bronzeville, I always said that um, I wanted to come back, you know, I wanted to go back home one day and, and do something and put that experience into uh, practice, right? You get a... Uh, practice what you preach and I uh, that's when I realized it was time to come back to Texas and um, I had this opportunity in San Antonio and even though eventually I, I want to go back to the valley and I know that that's where my heart's at and that's home um, right now I'm still uh, working towards that I want to when I go back to Bronzeville when I go back to the valley I want to have so much more to offer than just the experience in Capitol Hill. So I had this opportunity at a nonprofit, Avance, here in San Antonio to help them with their um, early childhood uh, policy portfolio. It's a a two-generation program because we work with parents and we work with their kids, getting them school ready. So that is how she came back to Texas. She's gone to Texas again. (laughs) I like that she looks at it as um, that she she wants to offer more than just her experience at Cap Hill, because I feel like a lot of people would say that that's 
that's like, you know, that's a huge deal. You know, you have your experience in Cap Hill and it's a great thing to offer, but for her, it's like, no, it's not enough. I want to be able to do more. I want to be able to offer more for my, you know, community for, you know, for her. So I think that's really, that's cool. I agree. I think there are, like, we tend to lose people in the Valley. You have some really, I don't know if this was the case with you, if you remember, but I know we probably had a couple of Ivy Leaguers at San Benito mm-hmm. High School who mm-hmm. who went off and haven't come back. But it's I really like it when I hear that people are going out in the world and wanting to gain all this experience to bring it back to the community someday, which I feel like I kind of want to do. Go back to your hometown and make things better. I can't wait for that to happen. Yeah, that is awesome because especially, I wouldn't say especially the Ivy Leaguers because there were definitely some Ivy Leaguers at Lafayette High School, but they, the, you know, there's a lot of people that have the mentality, you know, I want to get out of the Valley, the Valley sucks, I want to leave it, and they never come back and, you know, whether they go off and do amazing things or they go off and just kind of lie around in New York City, you know, the Valley is a great place to be. And so it makes me really happy that she didn't have that, oh, I'm going to go off to D.C. and be in Cap Hill and I'm too good for the Valley now. Like she shouldn't have that mentality. And that's, again, really rare and a really awesome quality to have. Because the valley is never going to change if all these people that are going off and trying to change the world or at least change their own world, if they don't come back and bring that to the valley, then it's, the cycle is just going to continue. I'm definitely guilty of feeling that need to escape as far away as possible and never return. <laughs> but I think that's changing for me at least. I think as I'm getting older, I can see myself doing exactly what Lucy is talking about. So I don't know. Maybe that's all of us just need to run away from the valley bubble for a while and then there'll be this huge resurgence of people returning and yeah making things awesome there's already people that are making things awesome but you know yeah contributing to the cause yeah contributing to the cause we got I think <laughs> that's the thing because so I moved to Denver um last October and a lot of people are always just like oh you know mostly my family um, like my grandparents, my parents, they're just like, Oh, you're never going to come back. Or, um, you know, they kind of make fun of me for it because I love Denver. I love being here. But, you know, whenever people, people here ask me, I'm just like, well, you know, I don't plan on being here forever. Like I don't plan on making this my home. I would eventually like to go back home. I still consider the Valley my home. Same. And, um, you know, I don't think I was ever one of those people that wanted to get out of the valley that hated it. I, you know, I think it's a, like I said, I think it's a great place, but it just, it needs some work. And I would love to be able to take whatever experience I get in other places that I live, take it back down there and help change and mold minds. Oh my God. I need to introduce you and Lucy. Essentially, Yay! this is what I've learned so far. <laughs> so you guys need to meet. Um, well, Lucy, I'd love to meet her. Yes. Lucy has some actually great advice for people who want to be more politically involved. So let me get to that clip rolling. Where is it? Where is it? Visit your congressman's office. You know, they have district offices too. You don't have to necessarily go to D.C. Uh, You can connect with them in their district office. And, you know, a lot of times people, I remember when I worked on the Hill and people would get upset that the congressman wasn't available to speak to them, which you got to realize that they have 
a million things to do, a million, and I've witnessed that. But meet with the staff because at the end of the day, that is a person doing all the work. It's your staff person. So find out if you have a concern about, you know, immigration and the wall. Call the local uh, district office and just find out who the name, who, who's the staff person. Schedule a meeting with them. Just go in and just say, hey, this is my concern. What is he doing about it? What is she doing about it? You can do this for, you know, at, at all levels and, you know, with your uh, congressperson and with your U.S. senator, too. Remember, we only get two U.S. senators and those two individuals, they represent us in the, the Senate chamber. And, you know, Texas senators right now are not a, a, as friendly as we we wish that they would be. And I feel that... Um, a lot of times we're getting intimidated to talk to them, but it, their staff is amazing. I must say I've had the opportunity to work with Senator Joan Corn and staff, and they're very attentive and they want to come up with a solution. And um, but you've got to reach out to them. You've got to make your voice be heard. There is no reason to be intimidated. These people, these staffers, these members of Congress, they're getting their salaries because of you, because of you. It's taxpayer money that's funding their salaries, so they work for you put them to work (laughs) yes part of the people (laughs) yeah i think that was before i i got into my first journalism job i i didn't really follow local politics a lot until i had i had to start covering them and interviewing these people and learning about them and um it really does make a difference. She's right. Like if you call them, if you get to know them and they get to, you know, see your face or hear your voice or, you know, adri- hear your concerns, it really does make a difference. And you should do what Lucy says. <laughs> yes, I agree. That's not a thing that I've done here in Colorado yet. I haven't really got caught up with Colorado politics or like local politics from where I am and shame on me. I know I should, (laughs) but um, yeah, it's a thing that I'm struggling with right now. Like having to learn like a whole new, I mean, it's not like an entirely different, but just like the way a state works and who these people are and you know what they're about. It's, it's a, it's a little difficult and overwhelming I think. Yeah, I didn't get a really good grasp on how government worked until, like you, I was a reporter. So now that you're learning the new political ropes in Colorado, and you're not writing about it every single day. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine it's a little bit of a challenge or just a, you have to kind of go out of your way. Yeah, that's the problem. I also talked to Lucy about what made her want to pursue her master's degree. That's something I am also at the point of considering at this time in my career. And Mm -hmm. she, the point that we're going to jump in in our conversation, she was talking a little bit about how working at her nonprofit, Avance, was helping her come to the conclusion it was time for her to pursue her master's degree. And I think at this point, she's talking about all of the different interconnected policies that were impacting the people that she was working with. So let's see, let's jump in right now. I'll never forget after the Trump election, I came across this very powerful um, uh, article by the New York Times. And 
the title was the title said the only way we will succeed is by excelling right so I feel like okay I gotta practice again practice what I preach and I don't have a master's and that's something I always wanted to pursue being that there's very few Latinas with higher ed degrees um so you know we gotta break the 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 mold and stereotypes and status quo. So, um, so I had this opportunity to um, uh, uh, get a full scholarship for a program in um, Alcalá de Henares, which is a town just outside of Madrid. <laughs> and the program is uh, in bilingual and multi multicultural education. So it's a master's program that starts in September. And I also, I've never lived abroad. So I am very excited about this opportunity that will help me get more knowledge too in the uh, education sector as it pertains to people like me. I was a bilingual student when I moved to this country and didn't speak a word of English. So I'm very excited about this new adventure and see where it takes me. <laughs> so I was wrong. I forgot what we did and didn't talk about. <laughs> um, but it was interesting to hear her say that because that's kind of a big reason why we were, well, a lot of us were also inspired to start this podcast and do something positive and mm -hmm. be the change we wanted to see in the world. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The only way we'll succeed is by excelling. Um, yeah, that's really awesome. It also it, it makes me happy that even like the type of person that she is and where she where she's at in her life and her career that we still kind of feel the same way about things and are trying to pursue not similar things, but we're just trying to fight for the same things. And that makes me feel closer to to Lucy, even though I've never <laughs> met her. <laughs> yeah, I I felt like at this point in life, I would have all the answers. I didn't believe it when people would say they didn't have it all figured out by the time they were in their late twenties. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a myth, but it's true, and it's true, and it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> Adulting is hard, as somebody just reminded me that is so amazing that she is going to spain for school like that blows my mind and it terrifies me why <laughs> because well one i don't speak fluent spanish so uh. like if that were me like even getting my head wrapped around like the language barrier and like being in a new place being in a new country where i don't speak the dominant language like yeah. it <laughs> like i am almost having a panic attack and it's not even me going to do it <laughs> it's gonna be fine amazing. I <laughs> i'll get through it <laughs> that is Oh, I'm so excited for her. That's going to be an awesome experience. How long is she going to be over there? Oh, it's a master's program. So I think maybe a year or two, probably. Okay. Yeah, but I a mean, couple years. knowing Lucy, what if she falls <laughs> in love with it and she just like stays in Spain longer? And then I definitely get to go visit her. I want to go too. <laughs> yes, get your passport current. I'm going to... 
bring uh, Lucy's background story into the fold a little bit because it's really interesting. So um, I asked her to talk a little bit about how her family, her family's values influenced the path that she eventually chose for herself. You know, I'm from uh, Matamoros, Tamaulipas. I was born and raised in Matamoros. Um, and there was an opportunity for my parents, my dad, you know, to move to the U.S. and a work opportunity. And um, and he he took it because we were very happy in Matamoros. Both of my parents, they are educators. But the peso had just lost a lot of value. It You know, it was a, they were going about to enter this massive financial crisis in the early 90s and that's when my parents just like everyone's you know immigrant parents they said we want to give Lucy and Ada a better life so um so they moved to the U.S. in the 90s and I entered the American school system when I was in um fifth grade so Ada was my little sister was still very young but to understand comprehend what was saying or to be you know, as upset as I was, because I was no longer going to wear a uniform and <laughs> like I did in Mexico. But um, that really that had a, a huge impact in what I do now um, in working with uh, bilingual kids and understanding what these families go through, because it is very different. The educational system in the States and in Mexico is day and night. Um, so that was uh, what, uh, you know, something that had a huge impact in my life. Um and, um, you know, in growing up, I really didn't know what I wanted to be. But my parents always told me, you have to go to college. It doesn't matter what you study. It doesn't matter what you want to do, but you have to, have to go. So it wasn't until I was in college where I went through my renaissance period and knew what I wanted to do, as I previously shared. I feel like she's already lived so many lives and she's <laughs> still so young. She's yeah. done all these things. She's been in D.C. She moved back to San Antonio. She's really accomplished. For sure. Like a lot of people, and I'm me included, they they think that um, like a successful life means being in something like in one career in one field for a really long period of time and like getting really good at it. Mm -hmm. But her life has taken so many twists and turns and she's she's still growing and that that kind of gives me hope because I'm and I know we were talking about this before we started recording but we're kind of both at crossroads in our life and our careers right now mm. and uh, she kind of gives me hope that I will eventually just you know it'll work out like I'll figure it out I'll do it and it's just like another career another another notch on my belt because I, you know, always assumed that I would just be in journalism until they would kick me out. And <laughs> right now I'm not, I'm not working in journalism. You know, I'm doing it on the side here with this podcast, but you know, I'm happy. I'm where I want to be. I think I'm where I, I need to be. And, but it's, it just kind of, it's so different from what I just assumed being successful in your career was, which was just sticking through it from when you're young until you're older. But I think she's proof that you don't have to do the same thing for all your life to be successful. Absolutely. Okay, so then let's jump right into the next clip because that's exactly what I asked her. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, 
I feel the same as you that I thought my path was going to be a straight line, like from college graduation to the day that I retired. Mm -hmm. And so I asked you the same thing. Like, did you think your career was going to be a straight line? Um, And then after that, she goes into a little bit about um, something that I think not as many, but Latinas are still dealing with this issue of um, pushback from their families on their career choices, you know, especially if it requires you to move away, far away from your family. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the next two topics that we dove into. When, especially moving in to going to DC and living there. And, you know, like I said, I, I loved it there and I love the, the city and the culture and, exposure to different people from all over the United States, right? I just loved it. So I did have this idea going in, um, thinking, oh, one day I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to put in 20, 25 years into working for a member. And one day I'll be a chief of staff. And that's the greatest thing that I'll ever do ever. And I'll buy a house here. And now, you know, I had this idea, but then I started learning to what these people did and the level of commitment that, you know, they had put into their bosses and that particular congressional office. And I realized maybe this is not for me. And now I feel like I want to have a more, um, a more, uh, what's the word, um, a portfolio with a variety, right? So, but I did, I, I did go through that. Sometimes we also, as Latinas, um, have to put ourselves in their shoes, too. And um, and that helped me overcome this. And it helped them, too. Um, I, you know, <clears throat> I think it was very unexpected for my parents when they learned about what I wanted to do, um, you know, after college. And um, they wanted me to uh, settle down and get a stable job and, you know, uh, have a family and all that good stuff, right, in my 20s. But then I feel like when they saw how serious and how passionate I was about this and that I was going to do it and I was going to move move out and, you know, and they came to D.C., they visited. I got to show them what I, where I were, got to introduce them to my parents, to my friends who are still also doing great things. Um, they realize that, wow, this is great and it's meant to be. And, uh, you know, we are people of faith and we are big on doing uh, God's will. And when it's his will, then doors are going to open from side to side. So, <laughs> so yeah, so that's kind of how it happened. And, and, and it was a very powerful moment. And ever since, you know, you've got to prove them. you got to prove your, your, prove them. Prove your parents, prove yourself to your parents that you're determined and that you have your stuff together, right? <laughs> that you're not all over just wasting time, but that you're doing things for a reason. And because there's a greater plan, even if you don't know what the greater plan is going to be, you just know that you're beefing up your resume and your portfolio. And that is what matters right now, When especially when you're in your 20s. And when you're in your 30s, sometimes when you're you're in your 40s, it's okay. Like we need to, as Latinas, stop, you know, just torturing ourselves with thinking that, oh, we're running out of time. And, 
We are not. You know, as long as we're doing something, like I said, to uh, grow and reinvent ourselves and to beef up our our portfolio and our resume, you know, and now my parents are my biggest champions. You know, when I told them, hey, there's opportunity in Spain and it's a full scholarship and there's also a stipend, a monthly stipend, they were the first ones to say, do it. They didn't even hesitate or I, but yeah, you're already, you're going to be 34, no te has casado, and where's the, the you know, the, the ring? And no, they were very supportive and they are, they're my biggest, um, cheerleaders and you know but it was hard it was very hard um you know to try to uh persuade them and to you know that I was gonna be okay <laughs> she rem- like hearing her story reminds me so much of of me <laughs> <laughs> well I imagine like you you're you you know you moved to Denver and your family was probably a little freaked out about you going so far away from home yeah, I think they were more freaked out because I moved without a job and a place to live and really kind of, I didn't know what, I didn't really know where I was going, what I was doing. I just knew that I wanted to be here mm-hmm. and was just hoping that it would, it would open up doors for me. And I'm, I'm not a person of faith, but I like how she said, you know, that you're doing things for a reason, for like a greater plan, even if you don't know what that greater plan is. And that greater plan, I think when she meant it, she meant, you know, in in the sense that it's God's plan. And I'm thinking, you know, it's my greater plan for me, even though I don't know what that plan is yet. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think, you know, she's, she's right when she says that, like, Latinas torture themselves, you know, that we're kind of, you know, we think that we're running out of time to to reach a certain, you know, uh, success by the time we get to a certain place or a certain age, a time in our life. And that's also the thing that I'm kind of struggling right now because I see my friends, um, you know, you included, you know, people I went to college with and they're, you know, they're in journalism. Like I have a friend who, you know, my friend Susan works for the Denver Post and Karen's doing really well in her journalism career. And they're, you know, Daniela works at CNN and, you know, these are all Norma's a sports editor in Arizona and, you know, they, they're doing the thing and they're succeeding at this thing that we all went to college for and started off in at the same level. And I'm working in construction right now. And so I feel like my path, I've, you know, I've gone a different way and I can't help but want to compare myself to all you wonderful ladies that we all started with in the same area. But I feel like, oh man, like they're already reaching these points in their career and I've just made a huge career shift and I'm kind of starting from zero again. And I'm thinking, you know, what if I'm running out of time? But I have to kind of remind myself like, no, you're doing okay. (laughs) I mean, like, (laughs) you know, I'm, I'm not without food or, you know, without money. Yeah. Without shelter. Okay, first yeah, of all, hard, you're man. amazing. Like, thank you. <laughs> uh, second of all, I feel you. Like, I do not. <laughs> I do not have my daily deadlines. I do not have my stress to keep me motivated anymore. That I'm not in a, a newsroom anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of feel similarly, except like my brother is hitting all of his, you know, like Hispanic life markers. Oh, like, yeah. he got married. Him and his wife had a baby. They bought a house. They just had a second baby. And he's like a year younger than me. 
and mm-hmm. I haven't done that yet. <laughs> so I'm just like, damn it, Joey. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. The, the Latina culture on top of it, just like, and I we kind of addressed that briefly in our Cuba Things episode where like, you know, Hispanic Latina women, we don't really leave home. And um, that's not a thing that my parents ever really give me a hard time for, but it's a thing that I get from my grandparents. Like, you know, when are you going to come back? Or, um, you know, there's an opening at Channel 5 News. And I'm like, well, (laughs) I'm good. (laughs) I don't want to work at Channel 5 News. (laughs) I'm so glad that you brought up that dynamic because I did ask Lucy about that. Um, I definitely feel that pressure sometimes of like, the American side where it's like you need to be the next Mark Zuckerberg and make like five million dollars mm-hmm. by the time you're 25 and then like the Latina side where it's like you need to have children and be married and keep your house clean um yeah. so I voiced that to her and she left me feeling a lot better <laughs> after we were done talking <laughs> so let's go into that part of the conversation right now at the end of the day, it's not about um, either expectation, about you, your own. You have to set your own expectations as a person and break away from the traditional and stereotypical expectations wherever they're from. And the beauty about getting older, too, is that, you know, you are um, able to choose your friends and who you surround yourself with. So... That's also super important. That's very huge in my journey to surrounding myself with people that think the way that I do and see life as I do. And some of them are married and they're like, they tell me, you're so lucky. Oh my God, you're going to Spain. Oh, you're doing this. You're doing that. That's great. Right. And some of my friends are not, they're single and they're in the same journey with me. And, and that is very important. Having your, your mentors. First of all, I always tell everybody, get a mentor, get a mentor, who's going to keep you in check and your friends who I like to call my friends, my board of directors, right? Cause that's what your board does. They're your bosses. They keep you in check. So that's, that's what I call my, my friends or my board members too. <laughs> I love that. I love it so much. So can I just say that I have never heard the idea of having a board of directors for your life. And I think <laughs> that is what I've been looking for. So, yes, I am taking applications. I will have my Google Doc where you can submit your resume and qualifications because I need I need this in my life. Yes. Yeah. I think just off the top of my head that includes you guys in our group chat that we have, <laughs> our, our badass female journos group chat, my parents, um, and, like, my coworker Shannon, who has become like my voice of reason in my office. <laughs> um, yeah, but I would say like at that moment, those are my board of directors, but just kind of, yeah, I, you know, people who, who keep you in check, but also kind of cheer you on <laughs> mm-hmm. when you need it. Yeah, that's important. <laughs> board of directors for your life. <laughs> And Lucy did say that, you know, in terms of finding a mentor, it's kind of about finding somebody who you admire or somebody who just seems happy in -hmm. what they're doing. So it's another great piece of advice if you're Mm -hmm. in the market for a mentor. 
Um, so Lucy leave me feeling like I went to church. <laughs> He's preaching a good word. And um, I asked her if she had any final thoughts. And she did. She just wanted to touch again on the concept of reinvention. So let's hear what she had to say to wrap things up. It's just a reminder to always uh, to to reinvent yourself as a person, as a woman, continue to do that. And when you're at a place, you know, I've gone through some, you know, tough times and I've said, man, what am I doing with my life? You know, I am 34. I haven't met society's expectations yet. Um, And I focus, we focus so much in the negative, right? Whereas we got to see it as, you know what, I'm going through a transitional time right now. I'm going to transition into another uh, project, another venture. Even if you do not know it, you have got to remember that that is part of reinventing yourself, reinventing who you are. You know, you were just sharing with me that you went through, you know, a, a career in, in journalism and corpus and whatnot, and now you're looking more into the, the, the tech side of it, right? I mean, we are evolving too as a society and, and you know, our, our, the, the news journalism aspect is evolving the education to with so you have to rem- that so that's beautiful what you're doing like you you're doing exactly that and even though at times you might feel like oh i'm wasting my time why am i going back to the drawing board and no because that is what reinventing yourself is all about it's going back to the drawing board so and that is it's it's very powerful and it sometimes is very hard for us to cope with but you know, the more that you do it, the better that you get at it and you be okay. I promise you. <laughs> We're going to be okay. Yay. That's, uh, that makes me feel so much better. <laughs> it really does. We're, I mean, cause I know you kind of made the transition transition out of journalism, um, before I did, but are you, were you experiencing all the same things that I am currently going through? I think I still am a little bit because I, I have been thinking, like Lucy mentioned, which I, I forgot she was going to talk about, that desire that I have to explore the tech side, the tech sector, and kind of wondering, should I go to a coding boot camp? Should I go to, uh, should I get another bachelor's degree or a master's degree? And if I go back to school, am I just wasting time while other people are advancing in their careers? And I'm just, will I just be stagnating? It's hard, but Mm -hmm. I mean, she assured me that it's going to be okay. So I'm going to go ahead and believe that it's going to be okay. Trust trust in Lucy. In Lucy, we trust. Oh, I'm so glad you interviewed her. She sounds spectacular. She's a delight, for sure. Yeah. Super smart, super fierce. She should be a life coach. Can she be my mentor? I want her to be my life mentor. I think we need to link you two up so you can talk. And you're both (laughs) in the valley. You already have something in common. Yay. And so she leaves for Spain in September to em- embark on a new chapter in her life. Yes. How so exciting. I think she'd be the first to say if she can do it, we can all do it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. You can always get at us on Twitter 
at Chingona Podcast or on Instagram at Chingona Podcast. Right, Leah? Yes. <laughs> they're, they're both at Chingona Podcast. <laughs> yes, thank God. Thank God you're here with me. Um, also, on our website at chingonapodcast.com. Send us an email if you want at hello at chingonapodcast.com. We're going to make this easy for everybody out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and help new listeners discover us. Leave us a review on iTunes. Five stars Please. if you could. Please. Leave oh. us reviews. <laughs> I'll consider an early birthday present you. Bye. Bye. Lucy, this is Mariela, your sister. I am so, so proud of you. I can't wait for you to start this new adventure and this new chapter in your life. I love you.